my favorite things to be in the front row and to stop singing and to just hear your voices. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons we get together on a weekly basis. I think that's why God tells us to get together, to encourage one another with our voices. So praise God for this worship and this time. Anyways, uh, so hey, this, uh, this past uh, Monday, uh, I went to the gym and I was there uh, after some time with Ava and praying and whatnot. I go to the gym and I'm on the stair climber and I don't like watching the TVs while I'm on the stair climber. Uh, truth be told, I like actually watching Parks and Rec while I'm on the stair climber. Okay, anyway, so I was doing that. But uh, uh, when I do, I look at the TV and on a Monday morning, here's what I expect. I expect all of the good news because on a Monday, they're pulling from all of the weekend content. So I get like the best of the best. Like during the rest of the week, they kind of pull in some like garbage from here and there. But like on Monday, it's like it's some like what feels like really important stuff because they're looking at the whole weekend. So I was shocked to see this on Monday morning. How did this make it into the list of things? that we had to talk about on Monday morning, given the weekend of news. We ran out of pink paint because Barbie came to town. <laughs> the Barbie movie launched and there was a shortage on pink paint. So I hope you got your pink paint to paint your new room in your house uh, because it's hard to come by right now. Uh, the, you know, little, little silly example, but it is an example of how sometimes, uh, what's going on in society and culture has an impact in other areas of our lives. People literally bought pink paint because of the Barbie movie. And there was literally a shortage of that. We can bring that sort of a thing to take this to an extreme level. We can bring that sort of a thing into our relationship with Jesus. Where are we basing our decisions? What, what are we seeing in the world around us or in our jobs or, or our friend groups that are, are impacting our, our decisions? What is influencing the way in which we make decisions? And, and when we take this to a point of decision making, does culture know better than God? Do we know better than God? And if we're going to be honest, honesty would say that we all struggle, struggle to, to be informed by God when we're making decisions. When we make decisions, oftentimes we're letting all these other areas influence those things. But when it comes to our walk with Jesus and how we make decisions, there is two people in this relationship, me and God. With you, it's you and God. In that relationship, one person has the posture of, to be informed. One person is the one to do the informing. We often flip that, don't we? We go to God to inform him instead of taking the posture of to be informed. You guys remember back at that scene, uh, the apostle Peter. He, he, you know, I think one of the ways in which, he, one of the reasons why he was such a, a dynamic disciple He's there at the beach. I think Jesus was doing some teaching. He, he's, he's there and he's the professional. In, in the fishing world, the modern person in Peter's time would look at Jesus and look at Peter and say, Peter's the professional when it comes to fishing. And so there they are in the morning, some teaching and whatnot's going on. And, and, and Jesus, the non-professional fisherman, says to the professional Peter, hey, drop your nets for a catch. 
And Peter says, hey, Jesus, we've been doing this all night. But there's three words. Catch these three words that Peter says. Because you say, I'll do it. Another, another, another translation says, at your word. And so Peter drops down the nets, catches a whole gaggle of fish, <laughs> starts to sink the boats. And, uh, but I think that attitude, that attitude of Peter, because you say, I'll do this. Like, I might be the professional in this area from, from modern thinking, but Jesus, because you say, I'll do whatever you say. I'll let you inform me, and there is a miracle that happens in that place. You and I need that attitude. You know who didn't have that attitude as Jesus was walking through Israel? The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. None of them had the attitude of, hey, because Jesus says this, we should do something. They were the ones that represented God. They were the ones that if somebody was going to walk godly in that day and age, if someone was going to be the example of a godly person, it was all of the religious leaders. But their attitude with Jesus was, because you say, I'm going to put you on a cross. Because you say, I'm going to attack you. Their values were more superior than Jesus's. Their, their sense of morality was better than Jesus in their thinking. And so you and I, as we go to this place, based off of what we were talking about last week with being stewards of this life that we have, as we think about sinking or swimming in our walk with Jesus, our, our relationship with Jesus, who has the upper hand and the ultimate voice in that relationship? And so before we go into the scripture for the day, let me pray. God, I, I thank you for this moment, Lord. I, Lord, I thank you for the example of Peter as we were just talking about that, Lord. I, um, Lord, I thank you, Father, that in, the, in, the, in a world of noise, uh, in an ocean of noise, whether it is articles we see about Barbie or what we have on our social media or our friends update over here or the the latest Snapchat, <laughs> Lord, that you want to speak and that you are there to be heard. And so, Father, in this moment, would we hear ultimately you in this place? We love you in your name. Amen. So here's how we pick it up in Luke chapter 16. He says, and the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, if you guys remember, we were talking about money last week. Thank you for coming back. Uh, we were talking about money last week. Uh, the Pharisees, uh, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. Uh, and he said to them, are you those who justify yourselves? You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men, what we celebrate is an abomination in the sight of God. So Jesus was just talking to the disciples about stewarding and money and things of that nature. And what do, the, what do the Pharisees do? The religious leaders that are there, the religious leaders to the modern opinion are the ones representing God, embodying, walking with God. What do they do to the son of God? They ridicule him. And in the original language, it actually would insinuate that they change their body posture that they actually uh, took their nose up to him. And it wasn't just like inwardly or, or saying a comment, that they actually changed their body language to make fun of Jesus. And isn't that the way? Like uh, a religious leader starts talking about money and we go to ridicule, we go to make fun of, we go to, hey, what makes us uncomfortable, we make jokes of. 
what convicts us, we start to belittle. And so they change their body language. They start making fun of Jesus. And Jesus, being the son of God, doesn't hold back. He goes right at them, speaks directly to them. And he acknowledges, hey, you know what you're really good at? Convincing other people that you're super religious. You know what you're really, really good at? Making sure that you look away so people think you're going away, but you're actually not doing any of that. Here's what's happened, dear religious leader. You've started believing your own hype. Like you've started to, to say this about you, project this, uh, this thing about yourself that isn't actually true, and you've started to believe it. You have fooled men, but guess what? You ain't fooling God. Why? Because of what Jesus says. I know your heart. And that's a phrase. Have you heard anybody ever say that? God knows my heart. You've heard it, right? You've heard somebody say that. God knows my heart. And it's usually like, I did said thing. And it ruffled some feathers. It made somebody mad. Or I did said thing that maybe, wait, was it wrong? Sometimes it's like outright wrong, right? But we're like, God knows my heart. Like, I don't know if that's how we say it, but that's how I receive it. God knows my heart. We usually say that when there's sin on the other side. And we say that, you know, God knows my heart never, ever, ever ends with God is okay with me. God knows my heart means he knows my motives, he knows my thoughts, he knows my desire, he knows my feelings. God knows my heart means that there is no pretending in our relationship with Jesus Christ. God knows my heart should make us actually have a holy amount of fear before God and reverence and make us tremble because he knows everything. But here's the beauty. He loves us just the same. He knows your heart and still desires you. Praise God for that. God knowing my heart is not to allow me to go to a place of sin. God knowing my heart is to say, God, you can have my heart. Mold it, make it, make it, make it more like yours. But here's what we do when it comes to love. Here's what it does when it, when it, here's what we do when it comes to the things of our heart. You know what we're also really good at? Projecting that onto other people. I really love mint chocolate chip. So in my head, everybody loves mint chocolate chip. I really love Parks and Rec. So everybody loves Parks and Rec. I really love soda. So everybody must love soda. I really love the Red Sox. So everybody loves the Red Sox. We do this. We project what we love on other people, assuming that what we love is universal. What do you mean you don't love what I love? And we do this with God. We start to say, hey, what I love, hey, because I love it, God must love it too. Instead of going the other way, does what I love line up with what God loves? Does what I love match what is in the Bible, what the Bible tells me I should love as an extension of the heart of God through us and in us? And so if there's anything that's going to inform us in what we love, it should be God and his word. So you guys know on Wednesdays, I have this tradition, this habit. Uh, I take my daughter. She goes to, she doesn't have to get on the bus till 
uh, nine o'clock uh, because her school district set, got together and said, what would make life hard for parents? Oh, nine o'clock. And so, um, and so she gets on the bus at nine o'clock. And so I take her to breakfast every, uh, every Wednesday. And uh, every single Wednesday, uh, she now gets a, uh, a, a large hot chocolate and uh, she's best friends uh, with all of the people there. And so they put a whopping amount of uh, whipped cream on it and drizzle it uh, there and uh, it with a drizzle uh, chocolate on it. And then she, every week she gets a Minnie Mouse pancake. And, uh, and it's, there's a wild amount of whipped cream uh, on the pancake, a chocolate chip pancake. Uh, she never eats it all. She eats four bites of the pancake. And so it costs me $1.25 per bite. Uh, I've done the math, uh, but it's time with my daughter. Uh, and so uh, this past, uh, this past uh, two weeks ago, it is at this point, two weeks ago, we're halfway through our meal. And, uh, and, she, and she says to me, uh, dad, can I, uh, can I get a thing of strawberries? And in my head, I was like, parenting win. My daughter uh, in the midst of the hot chocolate. This is, uh, Lana, you can throw a picture of it. Uh, my daughter wants a, a, a thing of, uh, a thing of um, uh, strawberries because she's, you know, halfway through the, uh, the hot chocolate. She's about to eat, uh, or she had already eaten most of her pancake, and now it's in a box. And so then the, the lady is like, well, like, well, do you want that to go, or do you want that uh, for here? And my daughter said, to go. And that... Like, I was like, that's peculiar. Um, why? And so the, the waitress leaves. And uh, so I was like, Reagan, daddy just spent $4.50 for a cup of strawberries. Um, why do you want uh, the most expensive strawberries uh, in the world? Uh, and why is it to go? Uh, and, and she said to me, because I have a fit challenge at school. And so I said to her, you mean like you just got hot chocolate with whipped cream and a chocolate chip pancake? and you're trying to win a, a fit challenge. And then I paused for effect, and there was no effect. Uh, she was eight, uh, and so she saw absolutely nothing wrong with that, uh, but she wanted points to go to school and bring these strawberries into school to get points for a healthy snack. <laughs> I think that's, in an innocent way, what Jesus is drawing out here. You and I like to project that we're fit before God. You and I, we do, I do it too, right? Like we love to eat our chocolate chip pancakes, have our, have our hot chocolate, and then turn around holding strawberries before God thinking, hey, I'm gonna win this fit challenge. Look how, look how healthy I am, God. We do this, but in our relationship with God, there is no hiding or pretending. He knows it all. It's our human nature to want to look away without going away. It's our human nature to dip our toe in the water, but then act like we just swam the English Channel. You and I have a struggle with pretending to be without actually being. And so Jesus, because he's Jesus and he can speak how he wants to, goes a step further and he says, the law and the prophets were uh, until John. Since, the, since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached. That's been, John's been preaching that. Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom. And everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So John's been preaching the kingdom. Jesus is preaching the kingdom. And he's looking at these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and he's saying, hey, common practice right now is people trying to force their way into it as if the law don't matter. But Jesus makes a very clear point. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for the law to become void. 
You cannot change the law. You cannot redefine morality just to make yourselves feel better. The law is the law. It is not going to change. I'm fine because I can redefine anything. No. Jesus says, heaven and earth, heaven and earth will pass away before this law goes away. You might have ridiculed me. You can treat me like a joke. You can laugh your way. You can treat me like a JK, JK, JK attitude, but you better take this seriously because this word is not going to pass away. The law is not going to pass away. God's word does not have an expiration date. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean we can ignore it. Jesus did not write the word of God and then write void on it like a canceled check. It is still relevant for today, and you and I need it to understand how to manage and steward our lives. You, you guys remember if you're, well, you're here, so you do remember COVID. It wasn't too long ago, that, that year of 2020, and we were all stuck in our houses. And, and, and if you were like me, I went to cleaning areas of my house that I didn't know were still there. And so we were cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. I, I found the food in the back of the cabinet that was moldy. I, I, I found all the things that I was like, I didn't realize this was okay to be in my house. Like, how are we? And, and so we threw a bunch of stuff away. And uh, one of my favorite parts was, uh, was looking through all of, the, uh, all of the medicines in my house. Did you guys do this? Did you guys ever look at the expiration dates in COVID? And, uh, and you're like, man, this has been expired not for a few days. Uh, this is actually a little alarming that this is in my house. Uh, I don't know if this was good for me. Now it's probably poison. Uh, and, uh, and so one of the ones that I found in my house during that time was something that was expired before my daughter was born. And so what that meant for me in that reality, my daughter was six months old when I moved into my house in Bayville. That means I had medicine in my house that was in my old house that was expired in my old house that I one point picked up, put into a box, brought it with me to a new house so it could sit expired there. And so I threw it out in COVID. You guys remember the memes that were going around? Uh, you think, uh, you see, I see you drink uh, your milk on the expiration day. I too love to live dangerously. <laughs> How do you handle expiration dates? <laughs> Some of us do, like when it comes to milk, it's the day it expires, we have a half a gallon left and you're like, oh my gosh, and you're pouring it out. There's others that are like, oh, it's been a week since it's expired, you're gonna open up the lid, you're gonna sniff it, good enough, and you're gonna, and you're gonna take it. I mean, there's, there's others that you see a little mold on the bread and you're like, yeah, you, cut, you just scrape it right off. Half of it's still good. Some of us are saying yes. Others are blowing chunks right now. We all, like, we all handle expiration dates differently. But here's the point. We can laugh, we can joke, and we literally can handle it differently amongst like food and stuff. But when it comes to the word of God, we can't bring that thinking here. Jesus makes it so clear. God's word does not have an expiration date. We cannot treat him as like a cosmic JK. I see this happening throughout, uh, throughout our, our, our lives as Christians as I talk with people. 
We might not like what the Bible says, but we have to respect and have to honor God with it. And we have to say, hey, in this relationship, I am not the one to inform God. I am the one to be informed. This is why we have a value called daily surrender, that as Christians, we're going to surrender portions over to our life every single day to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Daily surrender cannot happen without submission. You and I submitting ourselves before God and letting him have the voice. You know why we don't like talking about submission in marriage? Because we just don't like talking about submission. (laughs) But we have to with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's our big thought for this uh, morning as we look at this text. Fools can't fool God. Very simple. When it comes to you you and I and with God, we are the child. He is the father. If there is a fool in the relationship, it's me. Every time. And I can't fool him. I never can. It, fools can't fool God. And so Jesus goes just one step further to give them this like case in point. He says, for everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her a husband commits adultery. Jesus was just talking about money and finances. Now he's talking about marriage and, and divorce. And he's like, and Jesus, he's like, Jesus, what, what are you doing? He's bringing out to the Pharisees something that they very much belittle. You're not managing and stewarding your money well enough. Why? Because you're not managing the most basic of relationships, your marriage well. Because them, the Jewish people, they're, they're, they're rabbis, the Pharisees right there. You know, one of the, one of the historical accounts would show that a rabbi would give permission for something as little as a wife burning food. The wife burned food and a, a religious leader said, grounds for divorce. What? <laughs> So Jesus knows, that's common knowledge, that the Pharisees belittled marriage enough to say, hey, at the smallest thing, and it was in that culture, the man had the upper hand, a man could leave his wife for the littlest of things. And so Jesus brings this out to say, if you're going to steward, if you're going to submit to the word of God, let's bring up marriage. Do you actually follow the word of God or do you treat this as an opinion? Do you treat it as optional? Are you showy in all the ways you shouldn't be showy? And why don't you actually just do the thing and respect the thing and honor the thing? Treat marriage with respect and they will not, we're not doing that. So as you and I steward, as you and I submit ourselves to the word of God, it, it's not only in the area of finances. It's in the area of our relationships. It's in all areas of our lives. And so I'll, I'll tell you, I read this passage. I heard what that rabbi said. And on Tuesday, I almost had to go to Ava and say, we're done. Uh, uh, because, because she changed my morning habits on Tuesday. And it was no small thing. Uh, she wanted to work out with me because we're doing a fit challenge uh, at the church. And, uh, and so usually her and I wake up and we pray. We have our coffee. And uh, for like 564 days, Uh, I have walked the dog, uh, and then I go to the gym. And that's been my habit for like 564 days. But we said amen, we prayed, and Abe was like, I'm going to come to the gym with you. I was like, when? Now? I mean, no, but I walk Bruin now. No, you're not. Uh, We're going to the gym. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) 
And so I had to go to the gym uh, and then I had to walk Bruin. It changed nothing about the end results of my morning, but it was just flip-flopping those two things. And, and so um, Ava and I were on the rocks, everybody. Uh, I, I'm obviously, uh, obviously I am kidding, but she did it on a Tuesday. So she had to know it was going to become a sermon illustration. <laughs> and so uh, although that is slightly kidding, obviously Ava and I are absolutely fine. Please don't spread that rumor. That's all. That's fun. Uh, and so, yeah, she's not here. She'll be here in second service, I promise. Uh, um, when it comes to relationships, you know why I see many relationships kind of on the rocks? It's not true of all relationships. So please don't say, don't, it's not true of all. But many of us have struggling relationships because of boredom. We get bored. We want the, the next thing. We get bored with our relationship with God and we want the next thing. We get bored, we get bored, we get bored. And oftentimes when we get bored, we start to redefine what good and bad is. We kind of go all sorts of different places. But when we're bored, we do start to treat God like a cosmic JK, JK, JK. I'm, he's just kidding. When I struggle with boredom, I try to jump to the next thing. I want the next challenge. I've hiked this mountain. I kind of got bored with this mountain. Now let me go challenge. Let me get the next mountain. When we're bored and we're not appreciating what is before us, we're doing just that. We're not appreciating what is before us. We're not seeing the blessing that is before us. We're not seeing the, the green grass. We see other people's green grass. And instead of like in 2023 as Christians, instead of trying to water our own grass, we're trying to go after the next best thing because we're bored. Well, Jesus is our living water, so why don't we just get ourselves some of that living water and start watering our own grass? <laughs> Fools can't fool God. Another thing that I, uh, I saw uh, recently, this was in the book, uh, Graham just told me, uh, I think Atomic Habits. I think I clarified it with him. I think Atomic Habits. Uh, this was in that book uh, where Target runs like specialized ads. And they, uh, this, they, they saw your spending history, like how you're looking online. Uh, if you use the same credit card, they, can, they get that data and see what you're buying and what you're buying. And then they, they can send you targeted ads uh, to get you to buy other things. They see, hey, this person's been checking this out. This person has been buying this. So in the future, very likely, they will start wanting X, Y, and Z. And so let's send them ads for X, Y, and Z. So they do, they do get those things. And one person, uh, a dad, uh, saw that his daughter received uh, information about pregnancy stuff. And he was furious that, that Target would send his young daughter stuff on pregnancy. Uh, and so he took, he went to, uh, he went to Target. He reamed them out, uh, yelled at the store manager and whatnot, uh, and then came home and told his daughter of what just happened. And there he found out that his young daughter was indeed pregnant because their algorithm was actually correct. And so it kind of made a little local news and, the, and, it, and Target was like, yeah, we see this stuff. We target uh, people with ads. And, and honestly, that is what all companies are doing. <laughs> That's what everybody is doing. Uh, you are uh, you are their client. <laughs> You're not even their client. You are somebody that's being fed information every single day in a targeted uh, manner. We do it as a church. 
Do you live in Tom's River? You probably have seen uh, <laughs> an ad for Wellspring on your social media uh, because there's certain words that we can use to, see, to help people see that we exist. And, and so I hope that's a good thing, but then there's also ways in which that can be a bad thing, can it? I saw uh, two weeks ago uh, that a social activist group, uh, certain of them, their activists were paying money to just simply get their line of thinking to show up on people's social media. They weren't trying to buy anything. It was just simply get this line of thinking to show up on the social media so that they see it over and over again and they just start to think that it's a normal line of thinking. That was their own goal. Just get people to think it's normal. And so they were paying uh, the social media to, to do that. You and I, to go back to what we said at the beginning, you and I need to take the position of being the informed and not the ones doing the informing with our relationship with God. But here's what we need to guard. We walk around every single day and there is a world trying to subtly inform us to make certain things just seem so normal. We need to go to the word of God and start to normalize this again. And so this is what I want to challenge us with. Fools can't fool God. We need to take the posture of being the one who is in being informed and not informing God. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. On your way out today, you're going to get a piece of paper that has three questions. And it's going to be for you to pause and to reflect. I'm going to challenge you to take a 24-hour fast from social media. And I know some of you teenagers that are in the youth ministry with me right now are going to say that I will not survive for those 24 hours without my boyfriend's going to send me a snap and I'm going to miss it. And my best friend is going to have cereal and I'm not going to see it. Life will go on. And so I am seriously going to challenge you to take a 24-hour fast from social media and then take 15 minutes in that, so, in that 24 hours to take a step back, to ask three questions of yourself that are going to drive you towards being a person who is going to allow God to do the informing. Would you guys stand and let me pray over us before we go to a song of worship? God, I, Lord, as we go into this last song, as we go into uh, one more announcement at the end after the song, Father, as we, as we make our way to closing out this experience, Lord, um, my prayer in this moment is, Lord, that we would leave here, Father, maybe not even knowing where you need to inform us right now, but just knowing that we need to be informed. Father, would you forgive us from trying to fool you? Lord, I, I, at some level, it is scary that I can't fool you. And at some level, it's reassuring that I can't fool you, that you simply know it all, and yet you're in relentless pursuit of me. So, Father, I thank you for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, and your love. Father, as we sing right now, Lord, would you receive it as worship? And as we leave here hoping to be changed by who you are and who you are in our lives, would you also receive that as worship? We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.